Okay, so just to clear up anything, like we're not confused by the character, but Seam is just convinced that Mads Mikkelsen is Hannibal Lecter. I don't think he's acting. Yeah. Is my point. Yeah. I think he's acting in Rogue One because he has a conscience. I don't think he's acting in Hannibal. Uh, I don't think James Bond can kill Hannibal. I don't believe Casino Royale. Uh, on the other hand, I do believe Spectre is actually what Christoph Waltz gets up to. I in think Christoph Waltz is just like, yeah. I live in a crater and I will kill everyone who crosses me. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionwell, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today, we're going to talk about Rogue One. Yes, uh, and as always, if you want us to talk about anything, uh, or if you have any questions, then get in touch on Twitter, at the Story Toolkit, and the website is thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. Let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, let's get into Rogue One. I can't help it. Every time I just want to do that that little bit of the the Star Wars music. I know in all our prep for this, we haven't talked about the music, but I thought even that was great because yes. it wasn't the Star Wars theme, but used aspects of it in the correct places. Yeah, it was, I think, by Michael Giacchino. Was it? Yeah, who has been channeling John Williams his whole mm. career. And It sounded he's, like... He's, I love Giacchino. You know... Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, the IMAX preview had a different score to the final film, and the preview has amazing music, and the final film is not as good, and I'm annoyed by this. I don't <laughs> know why. See, how I don't did know you why see the preview online. Oh. I don't know why I brought this up. But anyway, Giacchino's amazing. Okay. He's excellent. John Williams did the score for Force Awakens. That was the good thing in that film. <laughs> um, so before we go any further and actually get into Rogue One, um, as always. This is going to be spoiler test. Yeah, we've seen everything. Um, so we will have to talk about it in enough detail that you can't listen to this and not have the film spoiled. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it yet, stop. Um, no, you, you, can, you can listen to the podcast if you want to. Oh, okay. It just was going to spoil it. You don't, don't have don't, to listen to me. That's... No, you don't have to. Um, so we're just, we are going to spoil it. In okay. three, two, one. Everyone dies at the end. And they actually do. Yep. Twice. Twice. <laughs> Yeah, they get killed and then they get blown up. Um, before we get into our points, do you want to just run through the be- the major story beats? Or should we just... The major story it? beats. Okay, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, a bunch of people stole the Death Star plans. That's it. That's pretty much it. That is the major story beats. Like, everyone knows Star Wars. Everyone's seen A New Hope. Sure. The first one. So you know the major... Okay, fine. The major story beats. There's a character called... Uh, Galen Erso, played by Mads He'll Eat You Mickelson. And Mads Mickelson is a weapons engineer, designer man. And Krennic, who's an awesome, awesome director in a white costume with a cape. He's very cool. Uh, Krennic gets Mads Mickelson, Galen Erso, and forces him to finish building the Death Star. So he builds the Death Star that we see in the Star Wars film. And... Um, his daughter, Jin Erso, played by Felicity Jones, she uh, manages to... She's sort of raised as... She becomes essentially an orphan. She's raised by a rebel terrorist called Saw Gerrera, who's played by Forrest Whitaker. And the film opens and she's in prison. And basically, a Galen Erso, working on the Death Star, sends an Imperial pilot who defects 
with with a with a message for the Rebel Alliance, telling them how to destroy the Death Star. However, he'll it's only going to he's been sent to Saw Gerrera because Galen Erso knows who Saw Gerrera is because Saw Gerrera took Jin Erso for his daughter, right? So he they so the rebels need to get to Saw Gerrera. However, Saw Gerrera and the rebels don't get on. So how can they possibly get to Saw Gerrera to get the Death Star plans? Uh, oh, I know. We get Galen Erso's daughter, Jin, to be, make a meet for us. So that's why all these characters get together. And then once they're all together, they then decide to steal the Death Star plans from the base on Scarif. And so you have this enormously cool battle on Scarif where they get the plans. They transmit the plans to the Rebel fleet. The Rebels manage to escape. They give the plans to Leia. And uh, the Death Star shows up and kills all the Rogue One characters. Twice. <laughs> yeah. Da, 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 da. And Krennic. Krennic also and does. Krennic. Yeah. Um, cool. Right. So yeah. with that done, yes. uh, I know we have a lot to get through yes. because the movie is cool. Yes. Um, let's get let's get the one one mistake out of the way. The one mistake in the movie. Yes. Because otherwise it'll sound if we leave on it end on it now that I think about it it'll be a problem. So the mercy scene. Oh yeah. Okay. The mercy scene in Rogue One is not a good mercy scene. No. It's, it's really weak. It is a, uh, what you'll see in the action book, I've called an Armiga Ex Machina, which is basically, uh, basically the sidekick comes in and saves them. Yeah. Right? It's basically a deus ex. Uh, Diego Luna's character shows up and saves um, Felicity Jones from uh, Krennic at the last moment. Um, and it just it's, it's just a bit sucky. It's a bit cheap. Uh, it's, however, it is not a deal breaker. Because the rest of the film is just really, really great. And in so the same way, know. in another podcast, we talked about um, Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, and you, even you said, like, Dark Knight's one of your top tens. I love it, yeah. Um, and the mercy scene is pretty sucky in that as well. Yeah. But it's not a deal breaker. Like the It's, movie it's is just, just not. Great. Mad Max doesn't have one. It's just not a deal breaker. Yeah, sure. Um, because the rest of it's, it's for the same reason that if you're watching a film, there's a line in it that you don't like. Yeah. Sometimes it happens that you the 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 mercy scene is so bad it ruins the film, and sometimes it's so great it saves the film, and sometimes it just doesn't really have much of an effect. The line of dialogue, I'm sorry, I'm glad you brought this up, and I'm going to try not to do this. We should both try not to do this because there's so much to talk about. We're, we can't keep sidestepping and going. Oh, I remember that bit in the movie. It's so uh, cool. Remember? But there is a bit where they put in the uh, the obligatory. Um, line I have a bad feeling about this yeah. and he doesn't let him finish it I have a bad feeling about shut up yeah it's like, <laughs> yeah yeah that's cute anyway uh, yeah. okay well, so it's it's mercy it's just, scene not great it's not a great mercy scene uh, the obvious the quick obvious fix fix for the mercy scene is um, that Diego Luna's character doesn't shoot Krennic in the back with a pistol but rather what he does is uh, he snipes him from a distance, from like down sure. at the bottom, because he's a sniper character. Because he's a sniper, it was set up earlier that he was a sniper. So at least if he's a, if he shoots him as a sniper, that makes a bit more. It, it works a little it's better. More in character. It's more in character. It doesn't feel as. Um, and then you have that scene where Jin has to go because if the problem is Diego Luna fell, he there's no way he, we don't know how he got to where Jin Erso is. Yeah. And we go, there's no way he climbed up and he didn't get the elevator. So if you have him at the bottom of where the, where he fell out and he's sniping. Krennic from there then Genosa can go down to see Luna and then they can go off onto the beach and have that wonderful magical 
paradise picnic at the end where they all live. Yeah. Happily ever after. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so Mercy's seen Gripe out of the way. Yeah, that's um, it. So that, literally, that's like that and maybe the Tarkin CGI was, and is a little iffy at times. It's like these are the only real problems. I have no problem with the Tarkin stuff being slightly iffy at times. And I, ha- I take great... Uh, yeah. almost offence at anybody that criticises it because they basically brought an actor back from the dead they did I mean stop complaining they did so it, I, I feel like it was fine I get why they did it it is a little iffy it's okay like the for me the eyes just kept throwing me out but I'm like it's okay I get it yeah. it's like it's okay. yeah I get it it's fine okay. so it, it's not it's, again not a deal there's nothing in there that's like the, these are the biggest gripes I can think of yeah and it's nothing like, um, the only other thing is the debate should Vader make a pun yes or no <laughs> Don't oh, I love be it. careful to, not to choke on your ambitions. Like, should he make a pun? Is Vader the punny type guy? I think he is, because I thought, not only is he terrifying, he's also witty! <laughs> the perfect villain. So There's so many more puns he should have come up with during the course of the thing. Like, if only uh, he just thought of them all and said, oh, I'm always a little too late with my puns. <laughs> um, let's get on to all the good stuff, because we are overwhelmingly positive from here on out. Yes, that's um, it. That's, that's like, I, I, by the way, I also like the pun. I'm just saying. That when I did sit hear it for the first time, I'm like, are you serious? I was like, does Vader have a sense of humor? Like, is that a thing? Like, should he have one? I don't know. Like, he's never done this before. Like, it's like, I don't understand. Like, is Vader... Like, what's he... Do? I've never I seen I think it fits that. in, because clearly by the end of this movie, he's lost his sense of humor because things have gone bad. <laughs> yes. Oh, 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 oh. oh, now I'm oh, in trouble. Oh, so, like, I like the idea that after episode three, he's on a high. And so he's just cracking jokes all the time. <laughs> and so no one's really scared of him. So as soon as something goes wrong, he's like, okay, this is it. You, <laughs> serious Vader now. Serious Vader. No more joking. No more joking. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't make a joke with General Tag when he jokes General Tag, right? He's like he's not making jokes when he just kills Admiral Hussle. You're as clumsy as you are, stupid. Like that's not a pun. <laughs> it's just so, like so uh, I like okay. Right. I like the idea. I have no problem with the pun. I was like I'm just surprised that Vader is funny, right? <laughs> I'm just surprised by this. I like the idea that the reason he's funny is because he thinks things are okay. And, like he's just like he's just like I'm so happy right now. Everything's cool. He's just making jokes. Gonna run the galaxy. Do do do. I won in your face, Obi Wan. <laughs> Guess who didn't Obi Wan? Ah, <laughs> uh, you should have saved that for the end of the podcast. I should have. Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, let's. Get, I know you want to talk about Galen Erso, so let's talk about. Yes. So uh, Rogue One had to do uh, a very important thing, which was not suck, and it managed <laughs> to effectively do that um, because uh, we really needed a good Star Wars film. <laughs> Actually, I said after I came out of this one, like after I came out of Force Awakens, I was angry. After I came out of this one, I'm like, oh. I remember liking Star Wars. Right, I said it's to you... It's been 20 years, but I remember liking Star Wars. I said to you after I watched it, when I saw Force Awakens, I spent a month angry. <laughs> and then the next 11 so months... And then the next so 11 months trying to forget that I'd seen it. Yeah. And at the end of Rogue One, I honestly could have sat in the seat and just watched the next showing. I, uh, yeah. But I, I wanted to. That's what I asked the people. I saw a midnight showing. <laughs> so it's like two in the morning. I'm like, if I just sit here, can you just hit it again? Because <laughs> yeah. like, I want to see this again. Let, let really it ride. Cool. Yeah. Um, Galen Esso. So one of the things that, you know, this film had to do was it has to set up A New Hope, which means it can't violate things we've seen in A New Hope. And so, and it has to be fun and exciting and cool. 
how do you do all that? It had a lot of work to do. It had a lot of work to do. And one of the things that it did that was really smart that it no one saw coming as far as I'm aware is it explained away a plot hole in the a New Hope film. So the, the plot hole in The New Hope is? Is why, why is the Death Star built badly? Like Why <laughs> is there a giant hole in the middle of the Death Star that if you hit it, it blows everything up? Like, how does that work? Like, why would why would you do... Why, like, can you imagine... There's, there's no car where, like, if you put something up the exhaust pipe, the car explodes. <laughs> that doesn't... Ha- that's a car. Yeah. That doesn't happen. So why is there, like, an exhaust port? Like, what does that mean? When you stop and think about, like, the Death Star doesn't run on gas... It's not going like it's, it's that little port there is not like push is not creating the momentum to move the ship, move the Death Star. So why is so why is there one tiny thing that is really elaborate to hit with any? Why is that there? What is going on? Right. So so they came up with a brilliant idea, which is the guy who created the Death Star hates the Empire and he knows that they'll build it without him. So he says, no, you, I'm indispensable. You need me to build it. And then deliberately builds in a floor. That is, uh, he builds in an off switch. He builds into it a way to blow the whole thing up with just one hit. And you know what's brilliant as well? Like uh, Mad Mickelson's message. He doesn't say, by the way, do a really elaborate trench run. He says any hit on it anywhere will destroy the whole thing. Anywhere. They don't have to do a trench run. They could have a guy inside put a bomb and blow the whole thing up. Sure. They don't need... This is very important. Galen Erso's plan was not right. All they need is one incredibly force-attuned child prophecy to perfectly hit this point in a flying X. That's not his plan. That's an oddly specific plan. That's not his plan. His plan is, I have built a thing where if you just basically go up to this and breathe on it, it will blow the whole thing up. So all you have to do is just do something. Just... To take it down. Get Because he tells them, he doesn't give them the plans, right? He gives them a message saying, if you go to Scarif, there are the plans then. The thing gets destroyed before he can... Uh, you guess he would have said it. it's called Stardust, everything. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So he's basically telling the rebels, look, because he thinks his daughter's dead. So he's telling the rebels, look, you go to Scarif, you get the plans, this exhaust port thing, that's all you need to do to destroy the Death Star. And it'll just go. Like, this little area, the superstructure here, you, th- that thing, if you hit that, it'll destroy everything. The rebels get the plans, they go, the only way we can get to that point is by doing this trench run. Yeah. That's the way we have to do it. So, there's no way for them to get onto the Death Star. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, except Han Solo did. And so did Jinnah. So, in fact, getting on the Death Star seems to have been a much easier plan now that I think about it. <laughs> Didn't explain away that plot hole. Anyway. There, there's a plot hole in Rogue One. Why doesn't Vader just pull the Death Star plans to him with the Force instead of killing all the rebels? Oh, at the end? Yeah. Uh, don't overthink it. Let's move on. I have I have an explanation why. <laughs> Go on. Because Vader has style. <laughs> he, he's got puns. He's, he's got style. Like He's, he's a classy well, no, guy. He, now, by now, he's lost his sense of humour. That's true, but that's been replaced with style. style. <laughs> um, so, anyway. So, but anyway. So, the point... <laughs> The point of this is there's a plot hole in A New Hope. Yeah. Rogue One is essentially built out of fixing that plot hole in a fantastic way because Galen Erso now is one of the coolest characters in Star Wars. Like, he's amazing. Like, yeah. He built the Death Star on purpose to be rubbish. Like, I love this. Like, he actually built it. Like, this will blow up planets, but... <laughs> 
I've worked out how you can destroy this thing, and I've done this perfectly, and they will never notice it. They don't notice it. That's the brilliant thing. Even when they're doing the trench run, they go, we've analysed the rebels' attack, and we believe that there's a possibility. Like, we think there's a problem here. We think we've worked out what they're trying to do. And Tarkin's like, yeah, in our moment of triumph, you overestimate their chances. <laughs> like, that's... He doesn't believe it's possible. Right. No one believes... Like, so it's like, this is really cool. Like, Galen Arso did build the perfect trap. He did, he did put... This is his revenge. And it's just like, that's such a cool thing now. That, like, Galen Arso, this character, is just this super cool character. And this is, this is a recurring thing of what we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah. Rogue One makes new A New Hope so much better. It does. Like I said, so Empire makes A New Hope better, right? Yeah. In... Uh, uh, it, what, yeah, one of our first podcasts, uh, we talk about um, sequels. We talk about Empire improving on a new hope. Yeah, I think it's like number four. Yeah. Um, well, this the does one. the same thing. So it does. now a new hope is made better, not just by Empire, but by Rogue One. Yeah, it's set up and paid off. Yeah. By it's, two separate films. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it, 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 um, yeah. So as, as I pointed out in that podcast, like Star Wars is dated. Yeah, it's it's really dated, and um, what, one of the reasons it survived, I think, is because of Empire. Without Empire, you wouldn't Star Wars would not be Star Wars, and Rogue One has breathed new life into it, which is why sure. I'm joking. You know, the original trilogy refers to Star Wars, Empire, and Rogue One. Yes, completely. Yeah, but speaking of, uh, uh, or not speaking of, but alluding to Jedi, alluding to, to Jedi. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to mention Jedi because you had this excellent point that. Yeah. This the the plot hole fix makes Return of the Jedi even better as yeah, well. Yeah, because now you get why the Emperor's Death Star is working fine with only half of it built. It's like because they're not using Galen Erso's plans anymore yeah. because they know his plans are rubbish. So the Death Star is better. Like the thing Galen Erso was terrified of, which was without me, they'll build another. They can just build the Death Star without me, and it'll be better. Like the Happens Emperor does Jedi. it. Like yeah. he's like, oh, so that one was sabotaged by our designer. Can we fix that? And they're like, yeah. Here it is. It's working and it's not even finished being built. And it's just like, so how do they destroy the a second So they have to go into the middle of it and blow it up. right? Yeah. It's not like they do a trench run. It's not like there's a, there's a deficiency. They just basically have to do the whole... They have to blow the whole thing up. So like, the Emperor's Death Star is better than the first one because it's not Designed, sabotaged. Yeah. Which is really cool. I'd, yeah. I'd, I, I remember... Um, just being kind of blown away in Rogue One, where when yeah. Je- when Galen says, like, "This yeah, is what I built," when he when he says that, I built. I'm like, "Oh, you guys, that's so good! Yeah, that's so good! Well fact, done!" I, I said before we started, like the writer who came up with that fix, yeah, and but and um, by extension created the plot of Rogue One. Like, yeah. that writer needed to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That, wow. Well like, done. That's, well played. That's that's the pitch. That's you know, I was. I mean, I was hooked on the idea of like, oh, it's just the. The, the pilot seeing the Death Star was like, that's a really good idea. And then yeah. you go, yeah, because the Death Star plans, the person who made them sabotage the Death Star. Like, what? Yeah. That's so smart. I love you forever. Well done. So Galen Erso is awesome. What a great character to invent and create a whole story out of. And Mads Manic to Mickelson. What? What's his name? Mads Mickelson. Mads Mickelson, yes. Mads Maneater Mickelson. Oh, yeah, Maneater Mickelson. Yeah. Yeah. Hannibal. He's scary. Your love for Hannibal. He's so scary. <laughs> he's even scarier now that he's played a nice guy. Because He's a nice guy with a heart and gets hearts in in Rogue One because I think that's just his plan to eventually trick me and eat me. <laughs> you specifically, yeah. Um, okay, so making Star Wars better. Let's, well, there's another let's plot roll hole, wasn't there? with that. What? Oh no, there wasn't. No, no, no. no. Let's, let's roll with the making Star Wars better and let's talk about the stakes. 
Yes. So, it, so one of the ways that it uh, it sort of actually makes Star Wars better is the stakes are raised in Star Wars now because of Rogue One. Uh, the obvious way that they've been raised is that all those characters that we've loved in Rogue One have died to actively stop the Death Star from from you know being this thing that the Empire can use to take over the galaxy. So. When Luke is firing on the tre- doing the trench run and everything, it's not just Luke saving the galaxy that we haven't seen or whatever. It's also Jin, Erso, and K two S O, and yeah. the monks, and all those. It's all those characters who died, and all the other rebels who died uh, at the Battle of Scarif, trying to. It's it's about all those characters now. So all those characters' lives are also sort of on the line. Yeah. Uh, because if Luke messes up, he doesn't just mess up for like some people. It's like, no, hey, dude, you got to do this for Jin, right? Like that's what we're thinking now. It's like you got to do this for Jin. Yeah, you got to do this for Saw Gerrera. You got to do this for Galen Erso. Like Galen built the Death Star. You can't let Galen's mem- legacy go down as the guy who built the Death Star and it worked. Like it has, he has to be that guy, right? So, and so now also of course um, Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa's ca- the character that went to Alderaan. He's gone too. Like yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah, this matters now. It's not just about you, Luke. Stop going on about you, Luke. It's not just about you being the chosen one, Luke. You're not just the new hope. You got to, There's other people. There's other people that matter more than you. There's the moment in Rogue One where K2SO dies on um, Scarif. And... He does, and he's just tuckered out. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, uh, I thought, no, they're not going to kill everyone. <laughs> but they're not in the next movie. Yeah, uh, they don't have to kill them all. That's the thing. No. No, they don't all have to die. They could have survived. Like it's just like yeah, fair enough. But no, they killed everyone, and everyone they talk to dies. Yeah, everyone. Dies. They just just wipe the slate yeah. at the end. They just do it. They go to a city, and that place dies. <laughs> uh, right. Well, we'll come to Jeddah later. Um, yeah. You mentioned. Uh, I want to talk about the world. Uh, you mentioned in the the. A little bit about the trench run just now. The whole um, Luke saving the galaxy that we don't really see. Yeah, there's a point that McKee makes in his lectures um, about um, the world of Star Wars being mm. very small. It is. It's about the galaxy, but actually, the world of Star Wars is only a few characters. Yeah, and certainly now it's having, basically a domestic squabble. Right. Certainly now, having watched Rogue One. You look at New Hope and you're like, well, this well, this world is very small. You yes. don't get a sense that it extends beyond these characters, but Rogue One does that. Yeah. Uh, and this is another reason why the stakes are raised. Yeah. Is that you re- it's not just that Jin and... It, well, I guess it stems from the fact that Jin and everybody died for this, but yeah. you do have this very palpable, very real world yeah. now beyond Luke, etc. Yeah, yeah, it's a much bigger world. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's bigger globally and it's bigger personally deeper personally as well yeah well yeah because you care more about the characters like Jin and so oh forth. sure sure there's more people that you care about so it's deeper and it's bigger globally there's more that you know more about the worlds that have already suffered you know more about the um, like the scope of this world how big this world is getting yeah you know and it's not um, um, it's uh, the, the way they do it they don't overload you with new no kind of planets and worlds because I mean the, the, all the places they well a lot of the places they go to are new right yeah Jeddah's y- y- new Jeddah Yagu Scarif, Scarif. I mean they have Yavin 4 
the heavy oven foil, um, uh, which is which is you know one of the very nice nods back to. What, what really makes it seem bigger is that the Rebel Alliance seems like a bigger institution. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what makes it seem a lot bigger. The Empire feels a lot bigger because you have Director Krennic and you have Grand Moff Tarkin in charge of him and then you have Vader and then you have the Emperor and then you have... So you, you see the Death Star being built. You see the, the, you see the machinery, as it were, of the in- Empire. The workings. Yeah. You see more of the institutions. You see you, these the institutions are bigger. Yeah. They seem wider. They're more spanning. And so as a result, the world seems bigger. And uh, therefore, because the world is bigger, more seems at stake. So when the Death Star shows up and it blows up Alderaan, and then it goes to Yavin 4, like that's all the Death Star does in Star Wars, right? It takes on one planet, Alderaan, and then it goes to Yavin 4. Yeah. And it doesn't get to blow up Yavin 4, but that's it does those two things. Whereas, uh, and of course... Tarkin is telling his, telling other generals, it's like this will keep fear will keep other systems in line, and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, now we get to see in Rogue One all those other systems, and how they are so scared of the Death Star, they're willing just to give up the rebellion at all. Yeah. Like, what's the point? There's no point. We have to give up. They have a weapon that can blow up our planet, and we don't. Like, we can't win this, so it's over. So you get to see all these different uh, admirals that you saw a bit in Return of the Jedi, by the way. Yes. But you see them again in Rogue One, but they seem even more... Uh, and the, the, the fact that they're terrified that this Death Star is going to come online and all that just makes this seem bigger. The Death Star is more terrifying. Yes! In this. Yes! Like, for sure. Yeah. When it comes across the horizon of Scarif, so oh. something's coming out of hyperspace, and you see the thing, it's like, Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, you run. <laughs> like, just run away. Don't, don't, don't stick around. There's no reason for this anymore. We've lost. Yeah. <laughs> like, goodbye. <laughs> How'd you beat that thing? Like, you go, oh, that's, that's why everyone's terrified of this thing. And then, of course, when it blows up Jeddah, the city on Jeddah. Yeah. It's like, it's the, it's the lowest. It's like the, it's the lowest setting on the Death Star, and it's like an explosion that lasts hours. And just to, it's, there's a, there's a there's a look on people's faces when they go, just fire one. He says like fire one of the reactors, something like that. Tarkin, they fire one, and the explosion just keeps going on and on. There's a look on some of them when they're like, that was the lowest setting. Yeah. Oh, oh, it only oh. gets worse from here. Yeah, it's like and like Tarkin's like, well done. Like that's the you know, scene on like, Jeddah. I I thought was fantastic so yeah. they wipe out an entire platoon of yeah. stormtroopers and I was in there in the cinema thinking okay this is the moment like Force Awakens where this this is going to go off the rails this is now going to be a bad movie like why does the Empire do nothing like they've just wiped out a platoon of stormtroopers what and the Empire just says okay yeah fair enough and then this Death Star comes and blows up Jedi <laughs> Okay, yeah. that's how we play. Yeah, and, it. How, and how does Tarkin phrase it? He says, "You don't need a manifesto and a statement will do. Just destroy the city like that." And it's just it destroys the city and everything around it. And you see the crust of the planet breaking. Yeah, it's like, I think the planet's actually uninhabitable. Like even if it's not, if even it's still there, it's kind of gone. And there's just this sense of that. That it's funny because that one little shot from on Jeddah makes the Death Stars you get to see just how destructive the Death Star is. Yeah. Um, 
And in, in A New Hope, you don't see that destruction yeah. planet side. You just have um, the the reaction to... Yeah. You have Leia's reaction to it. Yeah. Um, and you have uh, Obi-Wan's reaction to it. Yes. And so you Obi-Wan's get Obi-Wan's reaction to it is what really sells it. Yeah. And you and you get that it's the million souls crying out. Isn't yeah, it? and, and it works because obviously they couldn't show you that destruction. Yes, sure, they, they do it. And also, you've never heard of Alderaan. Yeah, it would be really obtrusive in Star Wars. The first time you watch Star Wars, for them to go like show you pictures of Alderaan, so I have no idea what this planet is. Yeah, it, it would be really obtrusive. So by the well, this is what they did in Force Awakens. Yeah, they did. So it was kind of yeah, because you just see a bunch of people you've never seen before exactly. get blown up. So like, I don't know, I don't know where this is. Yeah. Make this clearer, please. Like, uh, explain something. Anyway, but Obi Wan's reaction because Obi Wan is a character we know and we care about, and him just and Alec Guinness, of course, just yeah. like going like, I sent you know, it's like it's as if a million voices cried, cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced, and you go, yes, yeah, suddenly is absolutely right because it just right the planet's just gone like that. Yeah. So that juxtaposed with Jeddah, which is this really slow destruction on a just one city, yeah. But you see it from all those characters' points of view, and you see it from the Empire's point of view. Yeah, it really sort of they come together very nicely and become like that's not scary. Yeah, <laughs> and as we said, raises the stakes of it New does. Hope. It does because you just go like, oh, this thing is like they don't need to blow up planets to be terrifying. Yeah, they just they can just destroy. I loved it. that they just blew up the city. I mean, yeah. like you said, yeah, it does wreck yeah. the planet. But I do, and also you see just how horribly monstrous Tarkin is. Yeah, like I mean, we saw it in 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 the first film where he's just like, you know, you want to you want to you want another another target, a military target, then name the system. Mm-hmm. And she's like, they're on Dantooine. It's too far away. You're too trusting. Fire when ready. And they blow up the shit. They blow up the planet anyway. You're like, wow. In this one, where he's just like, yes, I love it. Let's blow up more planets. Like, just blows up Scarif. Doesn't care. Like he has he has no qualms about using the Death Star. He uses it twice before New Hope. Right. He has zero problems with blowing up planets. Like, this guy just does not mind at all. Like, he's got his favourite new toy. That's all there is to it. And, like, he won't let go of that toy either. Like, Krennic's like, I, got, I get to run the Death Star. Right? No, you don't. This is mine. You built the Porsche, but I get to drive it. Um, let's push on. Um, yeah. Force away. Uh, sorry. Oh, 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 that was a slip. Rogue One. Yes. Rogue One creates payoffs. It does. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you for thank you for joining us, Basim. You're welcome. It does create payoffs. Uh, it does create next payoffs. next next. <laughs> no, okay, it does. So it takes all these elements in the New Hope, um, uh, and, and we weigh the way we they must have written it is that um, uh, I, I mean I don't know how much of an assumption this is, but you would imagine that they took a New Hope and they just wrote down everything they knew, yeah, and then just brainstorm yeah. how they could so, use that so in Rogue One. One of the things that I would do as a creative exercise, you know, if, oh, let's, like, you know, you write your own, rewrite this, do that. One of the things I would do is rewrite the Star Wars prequels. And the thing I did is I sat down and I was, okay, let's make a list of all the things I can't change. Like, what do we actually know about this? What do we actually know about that? And you discover things like, for example, there is zero, zero anything in the original trilogy that suggests uh, that Vader and Obi-Wan fought in a volcano. Right. Which is what everyone presumed, because George Lucas mentions it in an interview or something one day. Sure. But, like, it's nothing in the film, so you can change that, right? So, things like that. What's in the films? And I have a feeling that with Rogue One, they sat down and they went, okay, what can't we change? Like, Leia has to have the plans. 
We can't change that. After D2 is through her, she has to be on the tentative for yada yada yada. So they're like, okay, we have to think seriously now about what, how Vader finds the ship, how Leia has the plans, what, and so on. Like, who who gave the Leia the plans? When did she get them? Yeah. If she had the plans, why haven't the Rebel Alliance already used them? She must have just got them. Yeah. So, okay, where did she just get them from? Why is she around Tatooine? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, like, the, everything like that is, like, one step... And then they and then you start... As soon as you start... So, like, uh, you've got these things you can't change. And then you start solving those. And those create other elements that you go, okay, hold on, hold on. How did, how did they even know about the plans? How do they know that the Death Star is being built? Okay? Like, how does that... How do they find that out at all in the first place? Because then you stop and go, oh, yeah, for them to get the plans, they have to know that the Death Star yeah. exists. How do they get the Death Star? Okay, well, what if there's a defector? Okay, there's a defector. Oh, he built the port exhaust problem. Ah, okay. And then you, and then you start connecting. So, I mean, that's that's how they would have um, yes. uh, created the, the wonderful plot. But yeah. what they've also done is they've got all these other elements now, from, yeah. Yeah, from A New Hope that they've kind of... Um, it's like... It's 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 not quite paying homage to them. It's actually making something right. out of them. So you're quite right. The difference is paying homage to them is like, remember, like, hey, let's just reference this thing. Sure. Whereas what this does is it adds it adds to it in the sense that now things that we've seen in A New Hope are payoffs to Rogue One. Yeah. Rogue One is setting up these things. And it's one not of these. Just Nod in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sets them up. So it creates payoffs out of a new hope. So one of these is Bail Organa. Yeah. So uh, Bail Organa is played by Jimmy Smith in Rogue One. And he says that. Um, so, sorry, guys. There's, there's like very there's, loud noises. There's, from there's like. I think it's the garbage collection or something. Anyway, it's just a trash <laughs> compactor. We're in a Death Star. Uh, <laughs> that's what well it is. Played, sir. That's well what it, played. We're getting really authentic with these things. <laughs> this is the podcast equivalent of green screen. Uh, Audio magic. Audio magic. No. So, um, no, it's just the really, it's just the garbage. Anyway, so uh, Jimmy Smith uh, plays Bail Organa. And um, Bail Organa is, uh, he says, I'm going to go to Alderaan and tell my people. Uh, I'm going to make sure the plans go to the, to her. I can trust her with my life. He's referring to Leia. Yeah. Mon Mothma says, you're going to contact your friend, the Jedi. And he's like, well, he's currently doing train spotting too. Maybe. We'll see how that plans out. But basically, he's going to Alderaan. And we know that Alderaan gets kaboom. Like, we know Alderaan's going. So, um, when he says, I'm going to Alderaan, it's like, okay. That Alderaan is now a payoff to that character. Yeah. We know Bail Organa from the prequels as well. Yeah. So, we just say, okay, blowing up Alderaan pays off Bail Organa. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ponda Baba. Oh yeah, so the, the, they meet on the Jeddah city. Two characters, Ponda Baba and Doctor Ezaban, I think his name is, which are the two guys that accost Luke in the cantina and go, "I'm wanted on twelve star systems." He doesn't like you and all that stuff. And then Obi Wan cuts off their ha- uh, uh, Ponda Baba's arm, um, and th- they do this so that those two characters show up on Jeddah. They bump into them and like they're about to ha- kick off and like they kind of don't kick off. And so now those guys are like, who are those two aliens? What was that all about? And it's like, well, now they're a payoff 
in A New Hope. Now, yeah. it's like when you see those guys in the cafe, it's like, oh, it's those dudes. Oh, yeah. I remember those dudes. And it's like, oh, those The dudes guys are that there. are quick to, yeah. you know, get it's angry. Just a cute, and... It's a cute little thing that you see them and then, okay, now... We when they show up in Star Wars, it's like, ah, oh, hey, I remember they were on Jeddah. Hey, those guys escaped Jeddah before it got blown up. Good for them. <laughs> you know? Oh no, does it make them more empathetic? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Except it does. Um, <laughs> they should get their own film. Yes. Why they wanted them twelve star systems? Done. Sold. Call it Two it's... Rogues. <laughs> that makes it sound like a sitcom. <laughs> Um, well, I guess Vader's in it, and he'll be making loads of puns because it's before anything went bad, right? I wanted to talk about, um, let's move on, uh, C-3PO as well. Yes. Uh, creating a payoff out of C-3PO versus how he is used in Force Awakens. Yeah, so the the, the point here is is this. In in Force Awakens, you see uh, C-3PO show up with a red arm, yeah, and it's a setup without any payoff. Like we, there's no, There's zero reason why he's got a red arm. And he even says, oh, do you want to know about my new arm? And then they pan away from him and they someone else takes over. And it's like, why does he have a red arm? Why have you gone to this this hassle of giving this character a red arm and you're drawing doing, attention you, to yeah, it? Yeah, you draw attention to the red arm there's no payoff. Well, you could say, oh, hold on, they draw attention to those two guys on Jeddah, but there's no payoff in Rogue One. So hold on, they create a payoff later on in Star Wars, right? Yeah. There's things in Rogue One that are set up that have no payoff. But they're paid off in Star Wars, okay? C three PO and R C D two are in Rogue One. Yeah, they're on set the up in Rogue Four. One. Yeah, and so they're set. No one ever tells me anything, R two. Right. And then they're set up in this, but they're paid off in Star Wars, right? Yeah. Okay. So why is that okay, but it's not okay in Force Awakens? Because you could say, well, in Force Awakens, Episode Eight might pay off C three PO's arm, or maybe it's been paid off in the cartoon series, or maybe it's paid off in the comic book series. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Because you don't know where the payoff is. The point is, the first time you watch it, it should make sense. If the payoffs aren't there, right, the first time you watch it, it makes sense. Yeah. So why have they brought up the arm? They didn't bring up the arm for any reason. So you sit there and go, what's the point? So when they do eventually pay it off, if they ever pay it off, it will still feel clunky. Because there was no reason for that setup there in the first place. It doesn't make sense by itself. Rogue One, on the other hand, is a prequel that is resting on a lot of dramatic irony. Yeah. So it's okay that it does this because we have seen the payoffs. The fun of it is that it's taking things that aren't payoffs and turning them into payoffs. That's the fun of it. Yeah. If Star Wars did not exist, Rogue One wouldn't be the way it is. You would change Rogue One. If Rogue One came out was like this and we'd never heard of Star Wars before and there was or if it, like episode 1, 2, 3 had come out then this came out we haven't seen start uh, like episode 4 hasn't been made yet okay you'd be like what is all this it would be really annoying mm. but because you know where all this is going it's fine now episode 7 well okay in hindsight you could do this. so no because it still rests on dramatic irony Rogue One even if you haven't seen if you hadn't seen Star Wars right and you watch Rogue One you will get a sense that, hold on a minute, I'm watching something that's referencing things that hasn't, haven't happened yet. My feeling That you're was, supposed to know about. My gut feeling when I came out um, of the movie was, wow, this is great, and all you need to have... All you need to know about A New Hope is that the Death Star plans yeah. exist. And actually, you know, the further we go into this discussion, 
the more it's clearly obvious. Actually, you do need to know. You need to remember hope. it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so that that's the that's the big difference. It's with these sort of things where it's like setups without payoffs. Is that these have setups that turn even just as sides into payoffs through dramatic irony. Sure, because you've seen the payoff already. Yeah. Whereas in episode eight, these are setups without payoffs, and they're gambling that they can do payoffs later. And the mistake with this is this. It's fine to have setups without payoffs in long-form storytelling where the next installment will pay things off. There's zero wrong with it. Unless the audience sees the setups. Right. If you see the setup, the audience expects the payoff. And that's, that's how it works. If you do give a setup and the audience has no payoff, they don't know why they saw this thing, that's the mistake. So if they'd given some sort of payoff to C-3PO's arm, that's one thing. If they never brought it up, if C-3PO just kept stood on screen and he had a red arm and he never mentioned anything, that wouldn't be a problem either. Because you just presume, oh yeah, it's been 30 years. Yeah. Stuff changes. But because he specifically says, oh, look at my red arm, you're like, what? And the problem with Force Awakens, as we said, is it's not just the C-3PO red arm moment. It's filled with these. It's filled with fake setups. And you know that you're not going to pay them all off. It's just a constant uh, array of setups and no payoff. Just coming back to the... The whole film is a setup without payoffs. So, like, so the the whole film of Force Awakens is, hey, we're setting up episode eight. It's like, that's not good enough. This has to be a film in its own right. I love... can't just be as... I want to go back to this point you you made. I love this idea that um, you can have setups... um, but the audience can't be aware of them. Yeah, that the whole if, point. If the audience is aware of the setup, you have to pay. It, off. And it's not just. It's not even that. It's if the audience sees the setup, they'll know what the payoff is. They'll work it out. Right. You can't just set things up and go, "Hey, here's a setup." You know, like uh, the the typical action movie cliche is the setup where a guy demonstrates that he has an amazing skill, like he's really good with knives and he's throwing knives sure. into the walls. And you're like, "Oh, it's a setup. He's going to use the knife later on in the film." Yeah, that's a crap setup too. The best setups. I mean, this is one of the things that crime fiction does really well because that's the whole point of the crime fiction, right? Which is the cluing, which is you take a setup and you give it a meaning that the audience thinks, "Oh, that's the setup. There's the meaning. It's done." But then you've hidden a second payoff in the setup that they hadn't seen coming. So what you do is your setups are either invisible. People don't know their setups until the payoff. And then when the payoff comes, you go, oh, you set that up. Well done. Or you set it up. You pay it off. They think it's done. And then you go, ha, ha, ha. There was another setup in between like that. Ah, trick. Which is what you do with the long form stuff. You do setups. You pay them off. But then you reveal, ha, ha, that wasn't the real payoff. Right? Mm. So... But you, what you don't do is you don't go, set up, and then just leave it hanging. Because mm. then the audience goes, okay, I paid it. Because it, it, here's a reason it's just stupid. Here's a reason it's stupid, regardless of what you're trying to do. If you yell at the audience, here's a setup, they pay attention. They're paying attention to the setup. Everything else you're doing, they're ignoring because they're paying attention to the setup. And then if you do another one, they pay attention to that one. So you're splitting their focus across. And then they're going like, wait, what's going on? Who's that guy? Yeah. Why did that guy do that thing? Because they're focused on all the wrong things. So... Anyway, so that's the thing. Like in Rogue One, they use dramatic irony to turn 
things into payoffs. They create setups into payoffs, even though you've seen the payoff already. So it's it reverses the payoff setup yeah. the way it works. And it creates and that's part of the fun of the prequel. Yeah, it creates payoffs out of a bunch of things that were never payoffs to begin with. Yeah, it, that's part of the fun of it. It's yeah. like, oh, how cool they've turned that into a. That's really cool, and it adds insight into it. Yeah, it's, well, it's a retroactive thing. It's in, like rewriting. In a way. Insight's exactly what I wanted to get to now. Yeah. Anyway, so let's let's move on to that. Okay. Um, so uh, Rogue One creates insight. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want to, let's start with uh, let's start with Star Killer Base versus the Death Star. So yeah, the um, uh, so Rogue One yes takes elements um, that could have just been little um, like ah, remember Chewbacca yeah kind of things yeah uh, and actually sit like it gives you extra well. A, a, a very fine example of this is the plot hole that yeah. gives us tremendous insight. Yeah, right? into the Death Star. In, yeah. Into the Death Star. But um, so another example that we talked about was um, that I want to talk about was the blowing up of Jeddah in Rogue One versus Star Killer Base. Oh, blowing up the planet we've never heard of. Right. Yeah. There. Yeah. So in Force Awakens, the Star Killer Base blows up a planet we've never heard of. It might be Coruscant. I have no idea. It didn't tell us. Uh, in fact, it blew up like five planets, didn't it? Yes. Something like that? Yeah. We've looked five planets and it's like, I don't know what any of these things are. I don't care. Uh, whereas Jeddah, we see one planet. Or just one city. One city get blown up. And as a result, we get this huge rush of insight into the, just the terror of the Death Star. Yeah. Whereas the Starkiller place blows up five planets and we go, and? So what? I think that's so key to... It doesn't give us when we're talking about insight. We don't get any insight into the Starkiller base. No, we don't go. Oh, how terrifying! We've seen this before. Yeah. What's so scary about the Starkiller base? There's even a sense that the Starkiller base blew them up from a completely different solar system. Did it blow them up with their own star? It wasn't clear. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, right? You're just sitting there going, "I don't understand." Like the cool thing about the Starkiller base was it sucks up a sun. Yeah. It powers itself through a sun. That's a cool idea. Ah, uh, I don't get it. I just it, it it has to move, right? So it moves, and I don't get it. Um. And uh, yeah, back to Jeddah. What yeah. makes that so scary? Well, because you just see just how utterly destructive it is. With with on its one setting, right? Because it you know what Jeddah the so first of all they don't you get insight into Tarkin and the Empire, right? You get no insight into the First Order. They just like yeah they just they seem like neo Nazi thugs, copying Vader, right? right? Tarkin, okay, you get the insight into first of all Galen Erso because Galen Erso built this thing. And so he knew just how utterly terrifyingly destructive it is. And so you now you understand his desperation to make sure that it never, ever gets going. Why he's why he'll put he throw you also understand why the pilot defected. Because you go, they saw how utterly destructive this thing is. And why he was so hell bent on making sure that they could build a weakness into it. Mm. Because it's so powerful. And you get why the Rebel Alliance wants to break apart. And you get insight into Tarkin. Because Tarkin doesn't just blow up a city. He blows up the last Jedi city. He does. 
right? I mean, it's yeah. Jeddah, right? He, and you see all those Jedi statues across the floor yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Like, he blows up the last. And now, by the way, remember what he says in A New Hope to Darth Vader? You are all that's left of their old religion. <laughs> right? Because he, yeah, he blew up Jeddah. Right? Like, he has no problem with it. Yeah. They pull back the Imperial garrison and goes, fire. As a statement. Just takes out the last of the Jedi temple. You know, those monks were guarding the last of it. This planet has kyber crystals, which is what they need to pilot the Death Star. Mm. That's why they're there. He blows it up anyway. He doesn't care. He doesn't, he, it doesn't matter to him. So you get this... You, when you see the destruction of Jedi and you see their reactions to it, and Krennic's ambition and Tarkin's um, ruthlessness... You get all this insight into these characters. You don't get any of that in in something like Force Awakens. So it's just great. It's a great choice. You made a, an excellent point just before recording about Red Five as well. Oh yeah, you get you out. get a little insight into Red Five because Red Five dies in the Battle of Scarif, and so when you see Luke become the new Red Five in Star Wars, like that's Dead Man's boots, right? <laughs> like he's getting in this guy's. Like he's got that call sign. He's got the R two unit. He's a rookie. All that stuff, and it's like okay, so. Now he's in Red 5. Like, you saw Red 5 die. So the yeah. fact that Red 5 died in the last big battle, which was trying... And that had the Death Star in it. And they were trying to get the Death Star plans. Like, okay, that's added a little insight now into Luke's call sign that he's on Red 5. Like, there's a space on Red 5 for him now. You know, on Red Squadron for him. Um, uh, the, the, the plans themselves and uh, why everybody is scared of Vader. Yeah, that's another little insight, why everyone is terrified. So there's a lovely, lovely moment in Rogue One, the first hint of Darth Vader, which is Saw Gerrera is in front of the pilot, placed by uh, Riz Ahmed, and <laughs> he puts his breathing mask on. Forrest Whitaker puts the breathing mask on, and the sounds, the same sound as Vader, and... Riz Ahmed does this beautiful moment where he's just terrified of the sound. He's not looking at Saw Gerrera. He, but he's filled with fear. And you go, he's hearing Vader. <sighs> like, that's how scared he is of Vader. Like, because he just defected from the Empire. Yeah. Right? So Vader catches him. Like, that's the most terrifying thing he could hear is Vader's... <sighs> like, that's the scariest thing he could hear, right? And he hears it. It's like, okay. And then you see Vader, like... You know, he's on Mordor, making puns. Yeah. And then he takes on the rebels by himself. And you go, okay, we get now why Vader is, like, so angry (laughs) at the beginning of A New Hope. Because he can't sit on Mordor doing stand-up anymore. He's had to... (laughs) (laughs) It's really stuck with you, hasn't it? I love love the idea. Anyway, no, but you get it because he knows where the plans are. He can see them. So he doesn't have any pretense at being like, oh yes, whatever, let's... It's like, no, he'll just kill everyone in more elaborate ways. Like, he's got to look... It's like, he's looking at them and say, oh, this is just a piñata of fun for me now. Let's see what I can do. And so he's just killing all these people. And they're they're terrified of him. They can't... The the blast doors are half closed. They can't get through the blast door. And, like, we can't... Like, the the first thing they think of is not... Like, the first... I was like, straight away, you pass the plans through the door. It's like, no, no. Their first instinct is, open the door, open the door. It's Vader, it's Vader, it's Vader. You go, okay. Yeah, everyone... Now we get it. And, like, when Tarkin's like, let Vader handle the fleet. And you go, oh, right. Because, yeah, Vader... Yeah. 
okay, he's scary now. <laughs> so, like, there's just this level of you, you, Vader is just so much more terrifying than there's he was so, before. something to be said, just as an aside, on, on the use of uh, the Force and the um, lightsaber in... Yeah. Rogue One, you compare that to, say, Attack of the Clones, where everybody has a lightsaber, and um, it's kind of, it's overload. Yes. Um, In this, you get 15 seconds of force and lightsaber. That's it, and it is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it's so well done, and I'm so glad they put it in. I wasn't even expecting it. Because the thing is here, you're right, you don't see any of the force. No, you just see Vader and his partner. You see, yeah, you you see some superstition. Right, they, like the Jedi have become super has become a superstition now. Yes, I am the for I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me. Yeah, I'm, like all the, they have all these little superstitions, and Donnie Yen clearly has a little bit of that. But it's like actually there isn't a Force. Yeah, you don't see the Force. It's there's no. It's the people aren't Force sensitive. They aren't capable of manipulating the Force. None of that. And the Vader shows up, and he's basically a just this terrifying thing that can bend reality to his whim. Yeah. And he's like. You can fly into the wall. I'll carve you up with my weapon that no... Like, it, it's powered by Death Star. Vroom, 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 vroom. <laughs> and you say, ah, oh, oh, that's what Jedi should... Oh, no wonder everyone is scared of this guy. Whereas, um, yeah, they, 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 they breathe new life into that guy. All these insights that they have, they're not like these huge insights. What they do is they just add to the character. Yeah. They add to them. They don't just go like, hey, remember... It's look what they've done. Like one of okay, so R two D two is probably the most fun. I was going to bring R two D two. Okay, so R two D two is the most fun of this because now you realise how much of a badass R two D two is because R two D two is given those plans and he gets how important they are. He doesn't let anyone hear the plans. He just lets Luke hear enough. Tell take me to Obi Wan Kenobi. Right. He shows him the beautiful princess that says. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. And like, yeah, okay, so Luke will now take me to this Obi-Wan guy. C-3PO, remember he says, nobody tells me anything. He has no idea what's going on. So he's like, I'm going to go this way. I don't care about what's going on. Shut up. And all this stuff. He doesn't even know about the plans. Natu's like, (laughs) seriously, dude, you got to trust me on this. Like, you don't, ah, dude. Do you even know who Vader is? I, <laughs> like, love, I love the point about the princess because actually now you consider it. And if R two D two had had, had uh, been put in front of Luke and said, "Here's some Death Star plans. Yeah. You got to go blow it up." Yeah. You know that would never have happened. Yeah, and he might get erased. He might get R two D two. Yeah, oh, that yeah, was the yeah, thing. Yeah, it was yeah, supposed yeah, to get course, memory wiped. I was like, "Yeah, this I can't get memory wiped." Like the galaxy. <laughs> like uh, you realize R two D two knows what's going on. Like R two D two is smart. He's like, I need. To get to Obi Wan, so now when he goes off on his own and gets captured by Jawas for a second time or whatever, it's like, yeah, that makes I get this now. <laughs> like, okay, like Artie is like, I Obi Wan is like super important. Okay, so that's just that's a thing that has to happen. Like, it's great that he can't talk because we can add all this. Like, that's the beauty of R two D two because he doesn't talk. They can you you can add all this character to him because there's nothing like this is like he just goes but then you look at his choices that he has to have done to like he did this then you're just like I think R two D two is a badass now you think R two D two is uh, the the biggest badass rebel spy he is he's <laughs> he's he's so gangster he's thug life like Darth Vader's a stand up R two D two is a gangster it's great like who really blew up the Death Star was it Luke. 
was R2. It was R2. He yeah. was there on the ship. Maybe he, he maybe he's the one that fired yeah. the weapon at the end. R2 is so cool. <laughs> like, it's, it's like that, this is the thing. It's like Rogue One, it, it's not just like, hey, it's not nostalgia. Hey, remember? It's no, like, that's It's done difference. like, it's it's dramatic irony. It's like, do you remember this character and this character in this situation? Here's something we're going to add to that character now that wasn't there before. That's why you would do this to yeah. enrich the other films Man, and you, un- and you enrich it. them by adding all these little things to them it's not just nodding the hat and winking it's a completely on the surface it looks like that's what they're doing they're just mm. referencing that guy and referencing this guy but actually when you stop and you think about it say why does this why is this so satisfying it's because that thing that you saw now has a whole new meaning to it mm. it's the reverse of Empire yeah Empire, you go, you rush back and go. Oh, I didn't see all those setups that weren't there before. Now I see them, and oh, he's his father. Well, this time it's the other way around. You're getting all these things. You're getting a momentum push into Star Wars, yeah, rather than a rush of insight backwards through Star Wars. So that film, Star Wars, has been. They've managed to generate this wonderful prequel out of it. That's that's what you want from a prequel. That is what. Yeah, it's what we're hopefully getting from Better Call Saul. Yeah. Right? It's what you get from Monsters University. Yeah. We did a whole pro- podcast on prequels. And Rogue One does this... Uh, like, one of the things for me personally... <laughs> this is really personal for me. All that stuff, all that work I did on my own prequels. Like, this is exactly what I was doing in my prequels. And like, oh, they did it. And like, everyone is loving Rogue One, which lets me to think, hey, maybe my... When you, you say... Know, it's like, it's nice. I was right. I just want to... Curb your ego for a second. Um, it's not my ego. Look, it's it's just like as <laughs> your bluster. It's my bluster. when you say this is exactly what I was doing. Um, it's not like you wrote Rogue One and they ripped you off. No, 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 no. That's but, not what I mean. What but, I mean is, is the process. The yeah. the, the 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 whole thing of like the His, whole point of this prequel is not to just give you exposition of how um, someone got to somewhere else, but rather to enrich the 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 originals. Yeah. The reason of the prequel is to take the original and make it better and deeper think, by exposing setups that you didn't see were there and insights that you didn't see were there. I think that's, that's what I mean. I think that's a key difference. It's, yeah. it's insight versus exposition. Yeah. Um, if they had just said, oh, in a very kind of plain and dry way, that, uh, oh, yeah, this is how the plans ended up yeah. here, um, then, you know, here, so here's, what? Here's how to destroy Rogue One in one swell, easy swoop. Go on. Uh, a rebel spy steals the Death Star plans from uh, from Yadu. Take out Galen Mercer. Just take him out. Ouch. Film just is nowhere near as interesting. Yeah. Right? And not only that, the Death Star isn't anywhere near as interesting. Like, so much of this film, comes the insight Galen comes Mercer. from that choice. You take that out, suddenly it's just this exposition thing. Like, so what about these characters? Do you see, I mean? like, yeah, do you see yeah, how yeah. much of, like... What makes this special just evaporates because you take out one thing and it becomes exposition Mm. instead of insight. Because it's not about people's choices anymore. It's just contrivances. You're in this position because you have to be in this position because you have to do that. And you look at it, it's like that's what is the problem with these prequels, right? The original, the Star Wars prequels. They don't don't do it. I maintain... It's the problem with Force Awakens... I maintain that in many, well, in one significant way, the prequels, uh, one to, well, maybe not so much three, but certainly one and two, I had a certain joy watching them first couple of times round yeah. that I didn't come anywhere close to with Force Awakens. No. And say what you want about the prequels, at least Lucas invented. 
I agree. Mm. I, actually, I, 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 I was saying like when I came out, I was never angry at the end of the prequels. No, but I was angry at the Force Awakens. There I, was I was still... offended by it. Yeah, there because was I was still... just like, guys, you've had so much time and so much money and so much talent right. put into this. Like JJ Abrams has talent. I'm not like it's Lawrence Kasdan and Michael Arndt. You know, Michael Arndt wrote Toy Story three. Right, Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire and Indiana Jones: Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Right, you have some of the and JJ was a really good director. Yeah, right, and the, you have all the fan love and a great cast, and this is what you're going to do. This, mm. it's just offensive. Uh, prequels, I mean, you know. Anyway, but, well, let's one but final. The, the only thing in the prequels that really worked was the Emperor. Emperor was nice, but you know, I liked Qui Gon. But it's it's just exposition. I like I like Darth Maul. Yeah, yeah. It is but it's just, just exposition. exposition. How did he do it? He did it this way. I'm not. I, you don't get a huge amount of insight into no. the Emperor after three films. You go, oh yeah, he is just really cool. He's like he's very Machiavellian. Yeah, that's it. You go, oh yeah, he is pretty cool. That's about. It. That's really the only insight you get in the in the prequel trilogy for anyone. Yeah, you don't really get anything else for any of the other characters. Whereas in Rogue One. You know, it's it, it's just you know, I, I, it's not that we want to bash the prequels of Force Awakens. It's just more trying to show how, on the surface, they look like they all did the same thing. Yeah, right. They all look like they are just referencing these other two films. But what Rogue One does is it isn't just a reference. There's an insight to it. There's setup. There's payoff. And, Enrichment. And yeah, and the, the and the problem, which is, is what you want to be doing, which is what I've been saying, is the kind of thing you want to do for prequels for years. And I'm like, I'm really glad that someone at A has done it. Yeah, done it really well, and it seems like everyone is responding favorably to it. Yeah, it's not like Batman v Superman, where someone finally was like, yeah, they finally took this thing properly and seriously, and everyone complained about it. Yeah. It's like, oh guys, you're learning the wrong lesson. From this. <laughs> like, I'm really glad that for once, like I, this I, is doing really well. Yeah, it serves to. The, That's the re- why it's not from my ego that I was saying. <laughs> uh, the reason we had to mention the the prequels at some point um, is because, uh, I, and you know, most fans have just forgotten they exist now. Yeah. Um, but uh, now that Rogue One is here and and is in um, very very good, and people yeah. are saying as such, all it does is highlight the flaws in these other movies. Yeah. And highlight the flaws in the writing of these. Other yeah, movies. I think I think Force Awakens is a lot harder to defend now. Sure, there you go. Uh, which is good in the set, not because like, oh great, J.J. Abrams gets his comeuppance. <laughs> Suddenly we're vindicated. <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, it's good in the sense that hopefully that means we'll get better films going forward. Yes. That's all I'm thinking. Yeah. But um, yeah. Did you want to mention characters quickly before we sum up? Yeah. So the the other thing that's amazing about Rogue One is it's a cast of characters we've never seen before and they're all excellent. They're absolutely brilliant. There isn't a weak character in the cast, right? You've got uh, Felicity Jones' Genoso, who's just amazing. Yeah. She's wonderful. I love that character. When she fights <laughs> when she fights her own prison rescue. Yeah. And then you have the brilliant K2SO go, you are being rescued. Do not resist. <laughs> you know, just, the robot's amazing. Uh, K2SO, I loved Alan Tudyk's robot. And K2SO, by the way, uh, SO, um, as the uh, quote-unquote comedy relief. Yeah. The way they do it, you know, because the other comedy relief in in the movies, it's these bumbling, silly droids. This one is a sociopathic droid. He's dark too. His comedy is dark. It's yeah. gallows humor. Right. That's. I think that's where the humor comes from. Yeah, it's it is. The, it, he's he's basically the good laugh for the whole film, right? Yeah. He's supposed to put the laughs in, but because the film is so like Guns of Navarone, World War Two, 
you know, do or die type mission. He can't just be going, and he can't just be going like that. He has to be, instead, he's just super deadpan. He's just like, do you want me to tell you how we're all going to die horribly? (laughs) Really, we don't. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be nice. You know, (laughs) what's it? It says, uh, do you want to the odds of her shoot, turning that gun and shooting you with it? It's like, no, it's high. (laughs) You actually realize that all his jokes really are a setup for that dark dark ending as yeah. well he tells you through the whole movie that this is going to go badly and that everyone's yeah. going to die yeah exactly and he's just stroppy about it it's yeah like, i won't leave you Jin. he said i can't <laughs> you know, like, just, i'm not allowed to i have to come it's just like so uh alan Tudyk. he's just brilliant yeah uh, and apparently he i love the fact that he was on set on stilts uh yeah i read this how cool yeah. is that like yeah. they didn't need to do that, but, I'm but this so is glad like um, um, we talked about this in John Carter. Yeah, didn't we? It's much when better they're act- when you're acting with but somebody. That's that would I think that explains why their chemistry is there. Yeah, they have chemistry. So then uh, you've got Diego Luna's character, who's great as this, and I love that he's got this sort of Spanish, Latino, like uh, French. Uh, accent. Oh yeah, which makes him feel totally out of World War Two, like Casablanca. You know, just like he has this thing of you don't understand where I am even from. You know, like I just I love it. I love that he was so he was excellent. Uh, then the pilot, as we talked about, in the night of Riz Ahmed is excellent. When you because I, I didn't I I meant to look at the cast list afterwards, um, but uh, I didn't realize it was the same guy. When you told yeah. me that, I just yeah. just shock. Yeah, yeah. My God, he's yeah, good. Exactly. He is he's really very good. good. Like his death scene was brilliant. Just that one little smile. Oh God. See the guy's like, "Yep, yeah, it's okay. I'm done. I like, did I, my I, job. I did what I had to do. I yeah. get it. And boom, done. Um, and then you have Saw Gerrera, Frost Whitaker, just going crazy with it, which was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, Mads Mikkelsen was uh, convincingly human as Galen Erso. <laughs> uh, I'm still not sure if he is, but I believe... I love I love Mads Mikkelsen. He's think, so good. I love him. That's such and, a good... That's such a good quote for, like, uh, uh, <laughs> a review of his acting. <laughs> convincingly, convincingly human. human. Yeah. I don't trust him. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, and then, uh, who have I missed out? Oh, the, the monks. I love the monks, Donnie Ian and the other great. guy. They were great. And I love I love when they get taken by Saw Gerrera and they put a bag over. Like, Seriously? Because he's blind. He's like... <laughs> Oh, guys, this is just like all these little choices. They, the great thing about them is they're not cliche because they all have a unique little character element to them. Yeah. So the actors have these wonderful little choices that they can make and they say things about things. So, like, it, it just works really. Like, we've seen sort of, they're sort of stock archetypes in one way. But they 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 they've got a nice life to well, them. An example an example of that is the um, we've uh, seen one the... of the monks. Uh, he's a big heavy weapons guy. We've yeah. seen that heavy weapons guy in yeah. in every war movie. Yeah. But this is a heavy weapons guy that has to protect his blind friend. And, and he's really tender. tender. Yeah, yeah there's right. A there's a tenderness too. Yeah. And also there's the sense of like he used to believe in the force and all that stuff. Yeah. And so there's this this sense of like he's not like he has a real heart to me. He's a monk. Yeah. He's actually a monk. We like that's the cool thing a about him. He's a monk, but he's got a giant cannon. <laughs> and like uh, Donnie Yen, uh, of course, is a monk and he's blind and all this stuff. But he's actually like really cool and yeah. And all these characters just they they exist in their own right. They're not fan fiction. They don't feel like someone is just copying things. Like which is Kylo Ren, the phrase, and Hux. Yeah. And uh, like in Force Awakens, you have Finn and you have Poe. Really are the only ones that don't feel like fan fiction. Ray just feels like Luke. Kylo Ren is Vader. 
Hux is Tarkin. Snoke is a terrible emperor. BB-8 is R2-D2. And then Han Solo is Han Solo. it's just like it's just this is fan fiction this doesn't feel real the phrase you used which I think you may have pinched was that they generate their own heat oh yeah I pinched that from uh, my friend Adam Hughes who's like a big time comic book artist (laughs) everything Uh, he he was talking about the prequels and he said like they don't generate their own heat and uh, he's right the characters rest on the heat generated by the original trilogy well in Rogue One they don't in Rogue One these characters are characters in their own everyone would love to see these characters again yeah. Unfortunately, they're dead twice. But everyone else said, my favorite character, my favorite was Krennic, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. And I fell in love with him in the opening scene between him and Mads Mikkelsen, where Mads Mikkelsen says, Lyra died, you know, his wife. Hopefully, like, if he believes him, he won't look for his wife. And Mendelsohn, just out of nowhere, just says, and starts tutting and shaking his head in this faux sense of, oh, I'm so sorry, when he doesn't believe him at all. And it's just like, I mean, this is just, I love when this When Lyra character. turns up and he's like, oh, here's your wife back from the dead. Yeah, it's like, to- and, he shoot- and he has a kill. Yeah. Any hassle at all. Like, he doesn't care. But- and, I- and his whole just like, he's so cool. I love him and he has a cape. This is a villain that generates the, the movie. Um, but you know... Again, you get the sense. I, and I also he, love that he, goes, he trust no. Galen. He actually trusted Galen. Yeah, that's the funny bit. It's when Galen's like, "Yeah, I did betray." It's like, really? Why? And it's like, <laughs> because she killed my family. It's like, really? It's almost like a moment from Philly. I used to be a priest because of you. Like he's like he doesn't recognize what he's done to this man's life. Because the, the thing is, that's cool. Is before he ran away, they were friends. You see in a flashback. Uh, you've seen I a, don't remember the flashback. You've seen a flashback, uh, Galen Erso, Baby Jin, and he's in um, Imperial suit and everything, and he's hanging out with Krennic. Ah, uh, of course. They used yeah, to be yeah, friends. Yeah. And then he got a conscience. <laughs> well, <laughs> that loser Galen. He got a conscience, and then like, Krennic's like... It's the only way he could hey. truly pretend to be human. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> getting a conscience. <laughs> I feel like, actually, if anybody's going to listen to this podcast and hasn't listen to your earlier points about Mads Mikkelsen being <laughs> Hannibal they're going to be really confused by the fact that going on I'm not sure if I've ever made even. these things in the pod reference to me I'm the sure podcast. you have you have, have I? yeah okay because sure. uh, I know we want to do one on Hannibal but yeah. I still have nightmares from Hannibal okay so just to clear up anything like, we're not confused by the character Basim is just convinced that Mads Mikkelsen is Hannibal Lecter I don't think he's acting yeah is my point yeah I think he's acting in Rogue One because he has a conscience I don't think he's acting in Hannibal uh, I don't think James Bond can kill Hannibal I don't believe Casino Royale uh, on the other hand I do believe Spectre is actually what Christoph Waltz gets up to I it think Christoph better. Waltz is just like yeah. I live in a crater and I will kill everyone who crosses me <laughs> so I think that's the thing he does um, just but on the gen- I love the, for these characters are just great they are just on the generating their own heat this extends yes. to things we've seen in the other movies as well yes Vader within this movie <laughs> generates his own yeah okay we see Vader as we've never seen like that's the thing they added to Vader we yeah. have never seen Vader and we wanted to see Vader do this in the and prequels but we never saw it this is a character you have previously stated is exhausted and done yes like Vader's all done Force Awakens what have you got to offer me yeah okay they breathe life into Vader yeah that's how good but it is. It's, yeah, it's like, Can I add to this? They didn't just breathe the life. They... <laughs> life into Vader. Oh, jeez. Um, they also... Uh, I wanted to bring up the Atats. Oh! 
I forgot about them. Yeah. The right? Atats. How are terrifying amazing. they are. So, Rogue One, a lot of people have said this is the film we always imagined as kids. And people were like, oh, if I did a role play, it would be this. Like, it, it, Rogue One is what people imagine Star Wars to be. Yeah. If you actually watch Star Wars, it's not what people think it is. Like, there is a lot of romanticism about that film. Mm. It's a good film. As I've said in the, pre- in the, we did a podcast on just the first film. It's a good film. There's really nothing wrong with it. It's nice, but it is dated. I love Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Star Trek is dated. Okay, it is dated, but there's some beauty, beauty to that show. Star Wars is dated. Rogue One is giving you Star Wars as you remember it, not as it actually is. Right. And that's what's so, I think, great. Because the, the fact that it's like that, when you see Star Wars now, that imagination of what it should be, what it is, is, is now a bit more real. Yeah. A bit more permeated. So it's just, Star Wars is... That film is saved again. I think, you know, it's, like, it's, it's really interesting because, like, that film... I... You know, it's I, I. If none of the other films exist, we it, talked it, about this in the yeah. in the other podcast yeah. we did. If Empire if had just been bad, yeah, right, you wouldn't have Star Wars. Then you wouldn't have Star this, Wars. Is, the first Star Wars film is not good enough to survive the test of time by itself. It just isn't. Empire enriched it so much, and uh, and then uh, the prequels almost ruined everything by yeah. sucking so much out. And the Force Awakens, I think, did. Yeah. Uh, but then Rogue One came back and just breathed life back into this franchise, and that's what you kind of want from these kinds of films. Which is, it that that's like, we said this about sequels. We're saying this about prequels as well. This sense of it breathes life into the other films. It enriches them so that they become more than what they were before. There's no point otherwise. What's the point in doing it otherwise? You want it to enrich and make them more. Let's um, let's wrap this up then. Um, yeah. A quick summary then on each of the main points uh, that we made. Um, anything to add to that mercy scene? I think like it's just no. covered. No, no. no. Um, okay, the plot hole. Uh, the only thing I can say about the mercy scene is this. Here's the problem: if you make the mercy scene really amazing in Rogue One, you kill the end. Ah, that's a good point. Right, you kill it. They can't live. They all die. Yeah. If you give them an amazing mercy scene, they turn the tables and they win, and then the Death Star just kills them all anyway. That would feel cheap. It could feel really cheap. So it can't be that amazing. Wow. Do you, is there a chance? Is there a chance that they purposely didn't? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't think anyone who worked on the film would know what I'm talking about because there's a good chance they haven't met me. Oh, <laughs> like, who else uh, talks about? No. What I mean is, it's like this mercy scene stuff. Like, the way I'm talking about it is not something that people talk No, teach. no, no, no. Okay. People don't know this stuff. That's fine. Like, but people I, know I, this stuff intuitively. They don't know it in... Intuitively is, of course, what I'm talking about. They wouldn't articulate you it say, You say, way. of course, that's what you're talking about. I bet you anything, people listening aren't thinking like that. They're thinking people in Hollywood actually write Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 and know what that shit means. And they don't. <laughs> that's the point. Like, people write this stuff intuitively all the time okay they do, I bet you those people making this film didn't even think of it as the mercy scene 
That's not a consideration they Okay, had. fine. But let's say that they... they That's they, what I mean. Let's say they didn't articulate it in any way like that, um, and they had this draft... Intuitively. And they had this... Yeah, they had this in, in draft where um, uh, where Jin does something amazingly cool that is set up, etc., to turn the tables yeah. on, um, on Kranich at so the end. The way they would be thinking about it, I would guess, is something like, we need a showdown yeah. between Jin and Krennic. How does that go? And they go, okay, it plays out like this, okay? We need it to be a bit satisfying. How about Diego Luna comes in and saves saves Jin? Oh, that's a nice thing for that, that. I don't think that scene warranted them a lot of their creativity because so much of it was built around Scarif, the Vader scene that's coming after. Right. And how they kill off those characters. Okay. So I think they were like, we just need to have a showdown between these two characters. I don't think at all that this is something they thought of as this needs to be the mercy scene. Yeah, yeah. And I think had someone like taken the lecture or whatever and they'd heard about the mercy scene, they might have gone, hold on a minute. What's our mercy scene? Yeah. Does this work? And they might say, actually, no, the mercy scene is the death star. That's the mercy scene. Can I throw... Maybe that's it. Yeah, can I throw something out? We talk about the mercy scene being the height of excitement. Yes. There's no way that showdown is the height of excitement in that movie. It's not. So therefore, it doesn't matter. It's not. It's also not just action, right? It's a bit of a war story. Sure. Um, It's traumatic, right? Mm. It is a little. Not not, not Not really, but it's, it's more like the... It's taken the value of a war story and the emotion of the action story. Right, put them okay. together in a way. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, you see, here, this is why I said they haven't met me, because this is what I'm saying. The <laughs> way don't I, repeat the no, phrase. Let me explain. The <laughs> way I'm talking about this is not the way they would talk about it. Yeah. They wouldn't think of it this way. This is a tool you can use for your own work to understand how and where it's working when things aren't making sense. It's also a thing you can do to learn from other works. It is not necessarily the way in which you write something. Yeah. So when I'm saying this is like, you don't have to sit there and go, how specifically have I blended the war and action movie together in order for it to work? No, there's, there's that's what I'm saying. There's a great quote. Uh, there's a great McKee quote that um, I read the other day that sums this up. Um, and I can't, I, it's not verbatim, but um, the, the message was this, that you have to, as a writer, blend the analytical and the yeah. intuitive. Right. And also, see, the other thing you might not have picked up on when I said they haven't met me is like, that could ruin the work. Yeah. Right? It can ruin it. If you think, oh, my mercy scene has to be this. It has to be that. Then you create this amazing mercy scene and then you ruin the ending because the Death Star kills them all anyway. Right. Right? Well, my, my original you see what quote, I'm saying? Like, yeah, so yeah. When, I say, like, when I say these things, what I mean is it's like, this is not, you have to do it this way. It's a weakness in the film because it's a bit of a letdown. But it, at the same time, it couldn't also necessarily be the most exciting bit of the film no but that's the question that's the question it's a prequel and it leaves on a cliffhanger that's the question I was asking though really was on an intuitive level do you think it's possible I mean it's it's not a question worth spending this much time on really but do do you think it's possible that these guys given that everything else is so good on that level just had this great scene and just went actually I think this saps away from the from the Death Star turning up I I sincerely doubt they had an amazing finale uh, for those two characters and took it out Fair I enough. doubt it. I Fair doubt enough. it. But I think it is a good point that it couldn't have been, you know, the big John McClane scene. 
No, it does, it does, it does, to do that, you'd have to set it up very differently. Yeah, yeah, of course. It doesn't course. have enough of a setup. And even if you, I mean, I, I think what you, the only real way you could maybe do it is you have to turn the Death Star. I mean, you can't even make the Death Star the mercy scene because it's so hopeless. You see, it's one of those things where it's like, I wonder if you even want that scene at all, if you just cut it and have them resolve a different way. Because if you go with war conventions, you don't have a mercy scene. No, no. So maybe you don't need it at all. See, this is what's interesting when you blend genres. This is why I make, make the point, genres aren't stories. Stories use genres. Yeah. So your story makes demands of the genre. Your genre does not make demands of you. So when you're writing, and I say you should have a mercy scene, you should do this, you should do this. You don't have to. Gone Girl got away without having the core event, right? Yeah. So you can do these things. It's just a question of how best does it work? And it's like, this is a bit unsatisfying because it's kind of half a mercy scene. Yeah. It's just, it's a bit of a cliche. It's pretty much the only cliche in the film. Yeah. That's what's sad about it. Yeah. Uh, It's a cliche. So I don't know what the, I don't know... But that, that's what I'm saying. There's a, so like, there's a number of ways of fixing that scene, um, and it's not necessarily worth talking about them. But no, um, I think the sniping thing might have been the best. The sniping could have worked. You could have set... Um, I forget the character name now. You could have set him up better as more selfish, but then that's the Han Solo thing. And not, uh, yeah, and not only that, like they, they've gone through that. He makes his decision to go with her. Exactly. Yeah, they've already, he's already done that yeah, change. It's too late. But it, that's what I mean by You'd have to make it K2SO. Earlier. There you go. And then the ending is K2SO engine. Yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't really work. I was the, my my initial fix. Um, uh, no, you know what? Let's get past it. I said we shouldn't talk about it. No. It's not worth it. Okay. Um, it, it's fine though. Like it's it fine. doesn't detract. It, does, from the just, movie. it doesn't ruin the film. Right? Okay. Um, it's the one cliche in the film. Right? Anything to add on the Galen Erso fixing? No, 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 no. I think everything's clear, right? Sure. Raising the stakes. Uh, again, raising the stakes. The insight setups. All this stuff is the same basic point, which is the prequel enriches the film. Yeah. And, you know, that's, yeah. It enriches, it, it yeah. enriches the... Yeah. Uh, enriches, enriches Star Wars, yeah. Uh, and characters, last word on that. They're just great. They're great. <laughs> They're <laughs> Make really your great. characters great. They're really great. So I think I, they all have, like, one dimension or something, that's it. Uh, I haven't analysed it but that's what it feels like yeah they're not particularly deep characters they no. can't be because there's so many of them but they have one dimension that's really beautifully expressed for each one of them and that's it like the robot is a butler who's an asshole yeah <laughs> that's his dimension right he's a, he's a, he's a rude butler um, and so they, 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 you know you have the monks who are who's got a heavy weapon cannon and another monk who is um a ninja and you know, blind ninja and stuff. So you just have these like, I think they have one dimension each. They're all they are all beautifully expressed. Though. That's it. Yeah, it's yeah. really simple. And they generate their own heat. Yeah. To to, to quote. Yeah, Jin uh, Erso doesn't care about the rebellion. Cares completely about the rebellion. Yeah. Like that's it, right? She's like in one in some scene. She's like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be involved. Oh, leave me alone. And then it's like cut to right. We're all going to die on the suicide mission that I've come up with. And if none of you are coming, you're all you know you're all cowards. It's like okay. Like that's it. Like she has, that's her dimension. She's awesome. Um, okay, then final question: uh, What do we take for our own writing? Everything I've just said about prequels for people who aren't obviously writing their own prequels, uh, everything I've said, what you can do is you can take this and apply it to dramatic irony, in it within a single telling. Everything about this is what dramatic irony does on a short scale. So this is just a dramatic irony so writ large. Let's take, uh, f- for example, if your movie starts at the end. Yeah, like D- Dublin. No, not Dublin. Sunset Boulevard, right? Yeah, 
or, or a Fight Club or, or yeah anything like that any, yeah. they all start at the end so immediately what you do is if we're starting at the, the end of the film and then we're going to go back and explain it yeah that ending that you've given you have all these setups in there right do you know what I mean like you, yeah. you all everything you mention everything every little detail in the flash forward at the beginning can now be used can be enriched that's why that character is wearing that jacket that's why that character yeah. is like this that way and this way and that way everything can be set up everything can be like paid off retroactively because now they've seen the payoffs yeah so you can put all the little setups in and that's what you can do so uh you know we talked on babylon 5 that's dramatic irony on a huge five-year scale with londo and jakar right yeah this is dramatic irony across two films right and so but this can be done this is totally the same principles that you would see in uh, fight club or yeah or, or even an episode of television. Or even, te- yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all the same thing because part of the fun of dramatic irony is you say, here's the ending, here's how we're going to get to it, and then you're making the promise that what they saw at the beginning isn't what they really saw. Right. That they saw something, that you've seen, you've seen what you think you see, but actually there's much more going on than what that. And if you just give them what they saw, then they get, it's just disappointing. Like, why and did you go back? And to call upon an earlier point, um, uh, an earlier point you made, which is just the, the same point, but a different way of expressing it. Mm. Um, this is the same theory uh, with crime fiction. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's with clues. Yeah. You're cluing works Actually, the same it's, way. Yeah, that's a really good, yeah, that is a, a good point. It is, because you yeah. made it. No, I, no, I mean, it's, I, did, I didn't connect the two, that dramatic irony and cluing is very similar. Sure. Okay. I didn't connect that, but yeah, there, there is a similarity there. I think which you is... did on an intuitive level. Ah, but you're not me. Booyah! <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean it that way. I meant it the other. I meant it like if they'd met me, I might have ruined the film. Right. Oh, it's I like, see. That's I what see. I meant. It's like when I, like whenever I say like, if I had been in a meeting where they pitched me Breaking Bad, I'd have said get rid of the cancer. It's a cliche. Like that's. <laughs> I get things wrong sometimes. It has happened. <laughs> I'm not on occasion. That's what I that I literally what I meant when they said they haven't met me is like, you know, by the grace of God they hadn't met me. Otherwise I might have given them a terrible ending. Or maybe leave with that next time. That's what I meant. <laughs> um, but dramatic But Rogue One is a uh, a fantastic example of uh, dramatic irony and using yeah. setups to enrich your story. Yeah. Whether it be yeah. on uh, long form over several movies yeah. or um, actually on a single movie or a single story level yeah 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 great excellent I great. think that's a good a good lesson to learn I think so too watch Rogue One watch Rogue One okay. so uh, you want to do your admin now at the end uh, or extra admin admin I bonus I don't know I thought that's what we do <laughs> I think it's something you've been cramming in to feel relevant at the ending okay well, forget that then. If you want to, you, <laughs> no, there is extra. Can I, go can, to the website. There, go to, yeah, go to the like, website, whatever. No, that's why you mentioned it at the end, because you made a load of buttons and you want people to click on them. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, click on the buttons. It. The other thing is, uh, the other thing is, by the way, I didn't mention that I played the X-Wing VR game before going to see Rogue One. That might have had some impact on it because the X-Wing VR game, oh my God, I got, I actually got nauseous because you can do loop the loops and you end up upside <laughs> down. And like, I'm turning my head to follow TIE fighters and I'm seeing the cockpit like, there's R2 behind me. It's amazing. But that's, that's another thing. Here's, a, here's an actual thing, okay. read, r- listeners, that I want to ask. So this is uh, almost an hour and a half, yeah. hour and a half podcast, right? Are you happy with the fact that they're getting longer? 
<laughs> or not. Well, this is... This Are these does, too long This now? does relate back to admin. Well done. Well done, sir. Um, if you have any uh, suggestions or things that you like or don't like, do get in touch because we do listen um, uh, and we will put that stuff into action. Part of the reason we do a summary at the end is because a listener pointed out that that would be useful. Yes. Um, so if you do want us to talk about a particular show or you just simply have a suggestion about the show, you've got the the Twitter at the Story Toolkit. Yeah. Um, and you've got the website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. On that website, on the contact page, there's all these other ways to get in contact with us through our personal Twitter accounts sure. and uh, Basim's Tumblr um, and SoundCloud. So, yeah, do let us know. I yeah. mean, would you prefer if, for example, we recorded this, we cut it into two sections? And we had two episodes. Would you prefer that rather than one long one, etc.? Yeah. I don't know. So sometimes it just it feels like, I don't know. Thoughts or ideas, get in touch. Just but, let, um, let us know what's easiest for you to digest. Because um, I have a lot of dairy problems. And I was going to say you often end on a pun. You're no Darth Vader, but you're okay. You could say my puns are legendary. Oh, scene. Scene. <laughs>